This is a Cincy fan talking with LP. You can catch me on Twitter. That's a Cincy fan talking. You say it like it sounds, just leave off the G. If you have ideas for the show, you can reach me at Cincy underscore fan talk at yahoo.com. If you have any suggestions for the show, make sure you leave them there. Who knows? You might find yourself as part of the show. Any feedback would be definitely appreciated. And also, make sure you hit the link tree page that's on my Twitter. Make sure you click on that. You can find all the different ways to contact me there. Enjoy the show. Welcome back, welcome back, welcome back to the pod, y'all. Appreciate you sticking and staying. Um, we we gonna kind of hit hit a bit of a turn here. Um, I had I, well, just kind of give you a little bit of background. This would have been year sixteen teaching for me for for your boy here. So I basically taught fifteen years straight. Um, decided to take this year completely off of teaching. Um able to spend time with the kids, you know, help the kids do what they need to do. Um, it, it's actually been pretty cool. Uh, going a little stir crazy, not having the classroom this year, but overall it's been a good experience. Um, I, I really had a chance to think about what helped me become successful as a teacher. Um, and that's been really good because you can kind of build off of that and it'll help you get even better when you get back in the classroom next year. You know, that's kind of my standpoint. Plus, I'm like, this is the best time to do it. Um, teaching last year and in the throes of the pandemic, it and not like we're not still in it, but I didn't realize how much of a toll it took on me. Like, I, I really didn't get it until the school year ended. You know, because you're, you're running around, you're getting stuff done, you're making sure the kids get what they need in your classroom. You know, you have your family. It, it was a lot. And, and my wife gave me this idea because she actually did the same thing about seven or eight years ago where she she just took a year off and she was like, you know, I kind of need this time. And I'm like, definitely do that. You know, I'm like, I have no problem. You know, I'll support. Her. So she was like, you know, I got the same thing for you. And she was like, you need it. And I was like, I don't. <laughs> and I'm like, now. Yeah, I really did. So I had somebody ask me, you know, you know, you, you've been teaching for this long and they've been in my classroom and they've seen I've been pretty successful. And they're like, what advice would you give me as a teacher? And I feel like for anybody that does something well, it took me a long time to even admit that I do it as well. <laughs> and for people that do things well, they find it really difficult to explain how they do it. I've heard so many people say to me, I don't know. It's just what I do. I just do it. I can't explain it. And I was one of those people for a long time. And it took me a while to be able to sit down and go like, how am I able to do what I do? 
Um, and for anybody out there that feels like they're successful at what they do, I would strongly encourage you to just sit down and think about what makes you successful. Because if you do, you can help other people achieve the same goals because there's a lot of people that do what you do and they just want to know how to do it better. So I got at this person a little bit later and I'm like, what I don't like to do is give a long, long soliloquy about how to do stuff. You know, even in my class, I'm like, we're going to break this down to pieces because I'm like, I don't really want to talk that much. I'd rather you do it. <laughs> but I'm like, I basically have four tips and doing these four tips will definitely help you out. And I'm like, number one, you got to be able to build relationships because nobody wants to learn or hear from people that they just don't like or respect. I mean, they just don't. It doesn't work that way. And you'll see the corny teacher movies where they do all those goofy games and they have like the little breakdown moments and boom, they, they build relationships in 30 seconds. I'm here to tell you, it does not work that way. <laughs> I mean, most of the teacher movies I watch just for giggles because it's funny to me. Like I, I'll watch it. I'll watch a teacher movie in a second and laugh at their classroom management techniques like because that's funny to me. But in the real classroom, you build relationships the same way you do with like your family or your significant other or anything else. You build them brick by brick. Like you build them slowly, day by day. Because, I mean, kids are bullshit detectors. Like they can see when you're not genuine. They can see when you're not real, when you're just trying to, you know, act like you want to be there. Or, hey, what about you? Tell me four things about you. No. You make sure that you, you're open to them. That's what you want to do. You want to go like, here's who I am. Here's what I'm here for. And everything just kind of takes off from there. Once you show that you're genuine, those relationships slowly build up. And I really don't have a template for like, here's what you do to build the relationships because every kid is completely different. So for one kid, you could just say, hey, um, let me know four things about you and I can tell you four things about me. Another kid might not want to open up at all because they got a lot of stuff going on and like, I don't trust anybody. So what they want to do is they want to see you show up every day. They, and when I say show up, I mean like you're present to teach and you're like, I, I really want to do this job because I want you to learn. And that builds a relationship with them. So just be open to accepting kids on their level. And that'll definitely help out a lot. Um, another thing is, and I see this so much in classrooms, like a teacher really has to be able to control their emotions. Um, I, I won't lie, like I learned this early as a kid. Making a teacher yell and shout is like the best part of a kid's day. And as a former kid, I can tell you, watching our teachers turn red in the face we laughed at that stuff for weeks <laughs> stop stop out of my classroom we would just mimic the teacher and i mean it's just stuff that that kids kids do most kids do it and you probably saw kids do it when you were younger and now they're their kids are doing it now so i tell teachers like 
control your emotions. I mean, that's really all you have. Like, there are very few things we can control in life. I mean, that's that's just honest. We can say that we do this and we do that, but there's so much that's out of our control that is ridiculous. One of the few things you have a hold on are your emotions. You can control how upset you get. People can say, oh, no, I can't control it. Sure you can. <laughs> you really can. You, you can build your own techniques, but if you can, if people can get to you and they know they can, I mean, that really says a lot about their control over you. So what I would say is control your emotions in the classroom. You don't want to be overly dramatic or dramatically upset or anything like that, because what happens is. And this is just kind of coming from from me as from from my classroom management style. I don't yell in class ever. Like that, that's not my thing. Because I realized that if I ever have to take it to that voice, kids will take it seriously because they're not like, oh, man, he's always yelling. They're like, dang, he yelling. <laughs> so somebody must have did something ridiculous out here and you can get their attention. If you're just yelling just to yell, like if that's your speaking voice, then you basically turn into background noise for a kid. And that's not what you want. You want you want to be able to engage kids on a regular basis. So controlling your emotions is very key in the classroom environment, um, as well as just being consistent. Kids don't want to admit this, but it's it's the God honest truth. Kids value and appreciate walking into a classroom and knowing what's about to happen. I mean, we appreciate that as adults. I mean, when when an adult can walk in somewhere and they know this is first, this is second, this is third. They really like that. Kids are the same way. They walk into a classroom. Okay, we're doing this first. And then after that, we got to do this. Then we're going to go over the homework. Then we're going to do the lesson. They appreciate that to the point where if you're not in the classroom, the kids will tell the substitute, no, nah, no, nah, we don't do that first. <laughs> we do this first, and then we do this second. Then we do. This. Nah, you, you're not our teacher. Like our teacher, do it like this. You should do it like this, because then everybody will listen to you. <laughs> That's because they value that structure. So being consistent is one of the main keys to 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 just being on your stuff out here, because kids really like that. And, and my last tip was. And I feel like this is the most important tip. Prioritize what's important. Like, what are things that won't fly with you? And what are things that you can live with? Um, my my cousin's a police officer. And his thing is they have certain things that they have to do, and then they have certain things that they're kind of like, eh, because it's all about what will help out the environment. And if there are certain things that will help out the environment by stopping it, then that's what they prioritize first. And then it kind of goes down the line. He's like, you know, I'll see people just throwing stuff on the street. He's like, but I'm not about to pull over and like arrest them, even though like they can't do that. He's like, I could just hit them with a fine, but he's like, I got other stuff to do. I got more important stuff to do out here. So He's like, I'm letting that go. And that should be the approach in the classroom. I've seen teachers just go 
off on kids. Just let them have it for chewing gum. And I'm like, is is that really valuing your time? Like, is that the most important thing to you right now? Because if it is, if that's the most important thing in your classroom, then that means there are five or six other things that that are going to either go on the wayside or you're going to have to approach with that same type of energy. And that's just gum. And you also have to factor into account yeah, if you let some stuff slide, then kids are going to think they can get away with other stuff too. So for me, it's more like I'm coming in and letting them know that there's a set amount of things that we're not doing. If you're eating or chewing in class, I mean, whatever. But if you can't throw it away or if gum is under the seat, you can't eat or chew in class anymore. And all of a sudden, that low level thing has just moved up. So it's really about prioritizing what's important to you. Number one should definitely be education. And if you circle that and that's your number one thing, then everything builds off around it. Because for me, I'm like, education comes first and foremost. Anything or anybody that's stopping the educational process is a major problem. So if you're talking loud in class and somebody's trying to learn, that's a major problem. We can't tolerate that. Now, if you're drinking pop, I say a pop, not soda. <laughs> if you're drinking pop in class and it spills all over the place, well, that's just a natural consequence right there. Because well, one, you lost your pop. Two, you got to clean it up. And three, if you bring it back in class, it better have a top on it. <laughs> so... Some things have natural consequences and you don't have to be out like, hey, you can't do that in here. And some stuff you do. I mean, you can't fight in class and you can't stop other people from learning. I mean, these are things that I feel like are top priorities. And once teachers really sit down and go like, look, this is what we do here. This is what we cannot do here. You'll see that there's very little gray area. In the gray area, you just talk about with the kids. You just let them know, hey, um, so-and-so brought this to class today. How we feel about this? Because once you open it up and you let everybody talk about it, boom. It's not just your classroom as a teacher. It's everybody's classroom. And to be honest, you just respect things that you feel like are yours. If you don't feel like something is yours, you don't really respect it as much. So opening it up and letting kids feel like they're part of the process definitely helps out. Um, those are the four tips I gave. You know, prioritize things, be consistent, make sure you're controlling your emotions, and build those relationships. And when I say build relationships, you got to build them with the teachers too because it sucks going into a classroom and you feel like you're just pinching that classroom. And you don't know anything about anybody else. It's like getting to know your neighbors around here. You got to get to know your neighbors because you never know when somebody can help you or you can help somebody else. So get to know the teachers around you, too. That definitely helps. Um, for me, and th this is just me just, just kind of thinking about this literally at this second. Being a teacher really helps me understand what my kids teachers are going through um it gives me 
it, it helps me be really, really flexible what they're doing. Uh, we've had teachers that don't send any homework home with the kids, like no homework. And if I was a teacher, if I was a parent that wasn't a teacher, I'd be like, whoa, no homework every single day? Seriously? But as a teacher, I'm like, okay, this kid's not getting, our kid's not getting homework at all. So A, they're probably doing it in class, or B, we have a teacher that feels like they don't want to take away time from the home environment. So I would encourage parents to just have talks with teachers at the beginning of the year. Um, ask them how they feel about homework, what's their philosophy in the classroom, what happens when stuff goes sideways in class. Just ask these questions with teachers. It it definitely helps. It helps you understand what's going on in the kid's classroom. And even better, it, it helps that teacher know that they have a parent that's that's not really against them. You would be surprised to know how many parents are just like, man, these teachers, man, I can't stand them. And I I can't really be upset about that. I mean, I tell my parents all the time, I've had teachers that that I wondered as a kid, why are you here? <laughs> I, I'm just honest. I tell them this and they'll kind of laugh. And I'm like, I became a teacher because I wanted to be one of those teachers that was not only present, but I wanted to be here because there were so many teachers. Well, I wouldn't say so many because, you know, at the school I went to, 7th through 12th grade, I mean, it was a really good school. But every now and again, somebody would pop up and I'd be like, you sure you want to do this? I mean, you don't look happy. You seem pretty upset every day. <laughs> I mean, there's other stuff out here, champ. Like, <laughs> So for me, it, it's just kind of building that bond between parent and teacher. It's, it's so much different being a teacher now than it was 10 years ago. It's, it's amazing how different things are culturally, globally, the environment is so different than it was 10 years ago. And it feels like it shouldn't be because 10 years is a really small time frame. But so much has happened technically as far as technology, um, as far as how kids approach the classroom, as far as how parents approach the classroom. So much has changed in a short period of time that we as teachers, we've had to flip everything we do. Um, I know teachers that are just now trying to learn how to do the whole um, web tech thing because it wasn't something that was necessarily required 10, 9, 8 years ago. It, it wasn't really what we had to do, but things have taken off so fast. And I would encourage parents to understand that and give a little bit of flexibility to the teachers. All right, Because if that happens, then you'll notice that the kids will as well because the kids basically pair it with the parents do. If you have a parent that's bad-mouthing the teacher all the time, don't be surprised if the kid comes to school like, I don't have to listen to you. My mama don't like you. <laughs> that will happen. But you build the positivity and the kids basically will too because, I mean, for me, it, it's all about breeding a culture of positivity. And on that note, we're going to go ahead and head out for this week. Um, 
next week, same bad time, same bad channel. <laughs> but until then, you got your boy LP. Thanks for listening. As always, life is good. Peace out. Hi, I'm Princess and I'm Queen. This is Daddy. You have to say, and this is a Sensi fan talking with LP. And this is a Sensi fan talking with LP Daddy. Nice job. Mm hmm. What's up? What's up? What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of a Sensi Fan Talking Podcast. And of course, this is LP, host, proprietor, um, no, soundboard engineer, uh, what else? Um, editor, all of that <laughs> of the podcast. So welcome. Appreciate you stopping past, sitting through for a spell, listening to LP. Talk about, you know, sports, life, all that good stuff. So that's what we on today. That's what we're going to do. Appreciate you stopping through. I'm just basically killing time before I start talking about the Bengals. <laughs> Honestly. Oh, man. It, it was a, a, a tough one. A, a couple of things. Number one, um, I actually did a little segment last week about what I thought would happen on this game, but I didn't drop it. Um, a lot of different things happened, you know, life kind of occurred, and I didn't upload it so you could hear it. I should have did a mini episode now that I'm thinking about it. But basically, um, to, to make it all condensed for you, here's what I said about what might happen against the Jets this week. I said I expected a win. <laughs> I'm not going to hold you up. I'm not about to sit up here and act like, oh, I knew the Jets would win. No, never saw it coming. <laughs> For real. But what I said was I had the same concerns that I had about the Jacksonville game that I had about the Jets game. You're coming off a big win. You know, you super hyped up. There's, there's a natural inclination to come into a game against a team that you should thoroughly thrash, there's a natural inclination to go like, ah, you know, I got this. Honestly, it's what I like about sports. Sports mirrors life so much. You, you ever had one of those moments where you expect to go think, you expect things to go your way. You just expect everything to fall into place because it's always falling into place. And then all of a sudden you're looking up and you're like, dang, this is not working out the way I thought it would. So you start trying to do what you need to do to get it done. But it's so much tougher than it would have been if you put all of your focus into it at first. It could have it could be something that you're at your job. It could be writing a paper, anything like that. But once you start trying to rev yourself up, you realize, dang, this is harder than I thought it would be. So you got to find that place to pull that energy that you need to get it done. Most of the time you can get it done, but every now and again, it just kind of get up and bite you. And you go like, dang, I really should have focused. I know better next time. 
that's basically what happened to the Bengals against the Jets. And everybody can say, oh, well, you're supposed to beat the Jets if you're a good team. True. No doubt true. If you're the team that you say you are, you have to beat the trash teams. You got to, especially when they're coming in with the QB, that second string, and the offense has, hasn't has scored a point in the first quarter. That was the Jets. You got to beat these teams. But you also got to understand this, and I keep saying this, and I, I apologize, but I'm going to keep saying it. This is not college. <laughs> these players are grown men. They were the best players in their high school. They were the best players on their college team. And they are professionals. You are playing professionals. You're not just playing a high school team with like two really good players and the rest of them. They're just looking forward to going to college so they can get their academic scholarships. <laughs> it's not like that. Every one of the players on any pro team will be better than 99% of the people athletically that you run up on on a regular basis. That's just the facts. And if you don't play up to snuff, you are going to lose in the National Football League because all of these players can play. You're looking at situations where a play here or a play there put them with a record that's lower than yours. And this is the one thing that worries me about the Bengals. You get out here and you start getting dubs and everybody's glad handing you and saying, man, it's awesome. We back. We back. The season's not over yet. You don't give out trophies just because you five and two or you five and three. It doesn't work that way. If that was the case, it'd be trophy heaven every single year for everybody. You have to make sure that you play up to snuff every single week. And I feel like the Bengals are a really good team. I feel like I feel like they can be a really good team. But you have to understand how to win. And it's a learning process. Everybody's dumping on the Bengals like, see, I told you. Ha, 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 ha. And deserved. <laughs> I'm not about to sit up here and be like, you shouldn't talk like that about the Bengals. Like, there are detractors of the Bengals that's looking and going like, hey, I told you, same old Bengals. And for the game that they played, they deserve to hear that. But you also have to realize, as much of a cold take that this might be or whatever, this is all part of the process. It's all a part of the, of the plan of building a winner. You have to go through stuff like this. You have to learn the hard way that you have to take everybody seriously. It happened earlier in the season against the Bears, but it was so early in the season, it was hard to know what the Bengals are going to be. Now we realize the Bengals are a good team, and now they're learning lessons. It's a part of the process in order to build a bad team to an average team and an average team to a good slash great team. This is These are the growing pains that we have to go through as fans, and what we have to do is realize that just because stuff like this happens, it doesn't mean that the team is trash. It means that the team is learning how to win. And unfortunately, learning requires that you fail. You cannot name me anybody that learned through repeated successes. <laughs> That's just not how life works. 
you're going to have to build up. Then you're going to have to crash a little bit. Then you're going to have to build up. It's just how it goes. We're watching the development process of the Bengals play out. This is going to happen probably one or two more times. (laughs) And, And it sucks because, you know, you want your squad to win. But you also have to realize that there's a long-term plan. And the long-term plan is building up a winner consistently year to year. So you have to learn. You can't take a week off and expect to get a W. It doesn't work that way. And I know people are like, but did you see that call? Did you see that call at the end of the game? Because if we had got that call, true. Let me tell you, I've seen bad calls. I've seen terrible calls. That call was worse than all of those. It it was horrible. When you have Mike Hilton tilting his head downward to make the tackle as he was taught, and then the player on the offensive side bends his head down to meet Hilton's helmet, and then Hilton gets called for the personal foul, I mean – It's one of those situations where it's so awful, all you can do is laugh. Have you ever been in a situation where something so ridiculously awful happens to you that that you just laugh? That's all you can do. Like, real talk, this was was about seven or eight years ago. I'm, I'm just driving down the street. Do, 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 do. <laughs> just minding my own business driving down the street and and it's it's you know that that annoying drizzling rain that's super super cold and it looks like it's gonna ice up but it doesn't that was the rain that i was driving through so i'm just driving down the street and i see a car that's ahead of me and it stopped i put the brake on in a nice amount of time but Cars not stopping. Cars not stopping. And uh, Austin Powers, I think it was a. Um, it might have been the first one where they're going four miles an hour and they're about to hit hit a pole, and, and the guy's like, "No!" And he had like a week and a half to move out of the way. <laughs> that was this situation because I'm going so slow, but I can't stop the car, and I'm like, I can't stop the car, and I just tap the bumper that's in front of me and i'm like man and this guy gets out of the car he's just i can't believe you hit me and i just looked at him and started laughing because i'm like it's already messed up that i hit you but then you build it up to this and you're gonna look at the bumper and go like what the hell was i what the hell was i yelling about so i'm just laughing at him like (laughs) that's the situation that the Bengals were in on Sunday when they had that call. It was just so ridiculously horrible. Like the circumstances just made it look like, what else can you do but laugh? You know it's messed up and you know it's wrong. However, if you're a Bengals fan, you have to admit this. If you're counting on that play to help you get a win, you've pretty much already lost the game. The game should not have been that close. Bengals were up 11 with five minutes left to go in the game. You got to win those. I mean, you have to. So, I mean, for me, 
I, I, I was sorry that they lost. But at the same time, I'm like, they'll learn from it. And you got to let it go. Because what you don't want, the worst possible scenario for this, is that this one loss causes you to lose again against Cleveland, which is a division game. This is exactly what you don't want. Because, again, life lesson. Above all, you have to be able to move on. You have to. You get a win, live it up for a little bit, move on to the next one. You take an L, think about it, you know, dang, we should have had it. We should have did this, that, and the third, and then let it go. Because that's all you can do. It already happened. There's nothing you can do to change it. Sure, you could have did better. You could have played better. You could have played better defense. The offense could have scored on the goal line more. But it already happened, and nothing you can do can change it. Because if you could change it, you would have done it already. See what I mean? So all you can do is move on. I mean, own the Cleveland. Because if you really want to make up for what happened last week, you don't let it happen the next week. Because... And I tell my daughters this all of the time. When you make a mistake, that's a mistake. Mistakes are going to happen to everybody. No matter what you do, no matter how right you want to make stuff, you're going to mess up sometimes. But if it keeps happening, can you really call it a mistake? Um, Is it a mistake if you keep leaving stuff on the floor every single day? And I say, hey, pick that up. And you don't pick it up every single day. I mean, that's not a mistake. That's that's just kind of who you are. And if the Bengals let this consistently happen to them, then they're not learning from their mistakes, and then that's a problem. But if they do what they did before, when they had the the poop fest against the Bears, if they pick it up and do their thing the next week, then you can kind of wipe this away and go like, oh, man, it's just one of those things that happens. But if you don't, you can use this and kind of go back on it like, dang, I saw it coming. So I feel like this week is long-term. Now, I'm not talking, you know, if they win their 6-3 and going into the break. I'm talking long-term. These are the games that define who Zach Taylor's team is going to be. Because if they're a good team, they'll bounce back, and they'll play a whole lot better and get the win. I feel like that goes without saying, but I just went ahead and said it. Uh, anybody watching the World Series? Um, obviously, not a lot of people because what I saw was that a Sunday night game trumped the viewing of the World Series, which shocked me because I'm like, dang, it's the World Series. I mean, I guess that really means football is king. But for me, I mean, I've been I've been watching like you know, I watched the full game. Uh, I think it was Game Four. I can't root for Houston. <laughs> and if you're an Astros, if you're an Astros fan, you're probably like for real. It's like that. Um, I love Dusty Baker. Like for what he did for Cincinnati, he came through and he he made the Reds, you know, relevant. Couldn't get the playoff win, but that was due to a set of circumstances that were beyond his control. But I can't root for Houston. I'm trying to root for Houston because of Dusty Baker, but I can't do it. it I just can't. 
And I had some people tell me like, that you can't, you always talking about being able to let stuff go and you can't let go of that, that Houston was cheating. And I'm like, it's, I, I think I got it. It's easier to let stuff go when people that did something wrong were punished for it. If there's a situation where, you know, somebody does something crazy and then they take their punishment and then they come back and they become better, I'm not good with that because, you know, they did the crime, they served their time and you and they're trying to get back into the swing of things. And for me, I don't feel like Houston ever had that time period where they got punished for what they did. I mean, if you're if you're a Dodgers fan or a Yankees fan and your team lost to Houston during that time when they won the World Series, I I would be salty. They basically cheated their way to a World Series. And the only punishment that happened was that the coach moved on to another position. None of the players in question were were held accountable for what they did. And and for me, I can't really get behind letting stuff go if you got away with it. Like it th- there's a certain fairness element. And I understand, you know, life is not fair. I mean, hell, it's not even equal for real. <laughs> but when you're looking at sports, sports are supposed to be one of the few things that we have that are fair. If you do the right things, you'll win. If you do the wrong things, you lose. Every now and then, a, a ball will bounce a certain way, but that's more of a luck thing. But to watch a team knowingly and admittedly cheat, and then MLB just kind of looks the other way and goes like, you know, there's nothing we can do, but we're going to have this coach sit out for a year, and then just move on to coach another team. I, I can't really get behind that. I can't be like, yeah, go Houston. When you look at all of these athletes that get all of these second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh chances, at least for almost all of these people, there's a time where they fall off. They lose the place that they were in, and then they have to prove that they can do what they need to do to get back to where they were. That never happened with Houston. Houston just basically came out the gate the next year and was like, hey, it's time to play. And true to our culture, if you win, people forget. And I feel like that's what happened here. But since they were never punished for what happened, I don't feel like it's right for me to be like, yeah, go Houston. I would liken it to a situation in my class where you might have a a person that cheats on a test or something like that. If that person doesn't get punishment for what they did, not only does the person that did it feel like, okay, there's no consequences for my actions, the other people in the class are looking like, wow, there's no punishment for, for his or her actions. So what's stopping me from doing it as well? Because the first thing I can say is, well, so-and-so didn't get a punishment, so why should I? I just thought it was okay. I just thought it was one of those things where you say we can't do it, 
But since there's no punishment behind it, who's to say we can't do it? That's what I feel like this is here. Sure, you can say, well, other people cheat. Other teams cheat all the time. You know, you had the steroid scandal and nobody got punished for that. I say true. I say I feel like they should have got punished too. Like, I don't I don't really subscribe to the whole theory that if one person didn't get punished, it's cool for me to do it too. I don't really f- see that as an excuse because for one, we're not really talking about that situation. We're talking about this one. And for two, they should have got the same types of punishments. The ball is being dropped all over the court here. So for me, I can't really root for Atlanta. I'm not about to do that ridiculous chop thing. I mean, that's just wild in in and of itself. I mean, <laughs> I mean, you can say it's not what it is, but when I'm looking at it, I'm like, how is it not what it is? How is that not a tad bit racist? Like, <laughs> I'm just saying. And true, you can be like, people can say, well, you know, they had they have permission from various um, native tribes to do that, but I mean, just because you have somebody that gives you license to do that, it doesn't mean that everybody from that culture gave you license to do that. I mean, sure, they may be, quote unquote, okay with it, but does that make everybody okay with it? No, I mean, it's just crazy to watch a, it's wild to just watch. They've been doing that since like the 90s too. And you know, different times. I don't think people realize the full scope of how racist it looks, but you got me just watching baseball at this point. I mean, I can't really root for Houston. And aside from the fact that that chop is racist, I mean, Atlanta is Atlanta. I'm really not rooting for the Braves. It doesn't really work that way for me. So I'm just up here watching the World Series because I just want to see who wins. Plus, I only caught one game. You would think that you would watch more than one game of a World Series. I don't know. Football is king at this point. You know, people say baseball is America's game, but, I mean, football cuts across all races, all genders. I mean, it really does that, which is why it's disappointing that you don't see the representation, you know, in the front office and from the head coaches as far as you know the ethnicity standpoint but hey we'll say that for another day right <laughs> hey you got a sensei fan talking with lp we'll be right back in a second if you're not ready for the conversation to end i'm not either Make sure to catch me on Twitter. That's the Cincy Fan Talking. Leave off the G at the end of it, and we can keep the conversation going. Also, don't be afraid to hit that subscribe button so you can catch the next episodes. The episodes will drop every Tuesday. If there's a change in that, I'll make sure to let you know. Appreciate the support. As always, life is good.